0: to season four of How We Win, the official podcast of The Persistence.
1: Action is the best antidote for anxiety and we can all make a difference by staying involved. There's quite a bit
0: to catch up on since our break, including a new Congress that's not exactly like the old Congress. We will talk about what's on the Republican agenda, it's not good, and how we can support the Democrats' work to fight back.
1: And I'm very, very excited to announce that for season four, Jennifer is coming on officially as our new co host. Woohoo! Woo! So I'm going to interview her today so we can all get to know this incredible woman and the important work that she does. I'm Steve Pearson.
0: And I'm Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And
1: And this this is is how we win. win. Yes. Season four. It's opening day. I can smell the fresh cut grass and wait, no, it's a different opening day. Um <laughs> It's a season opener. I'm so happy that you're joining the show, and I'm so excited to learn from you uh, every week and, and be the beneficiary of your great knowledge in organizing and communications and messaging and, and just your general insight. It's going to be so much fun. I'm, I'm the luckiest dude to get to you know talk, chat with you every week about all this really important work.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. I'm very excited too. It is, We do have that exciting opener season, opener energy going. It's a new <laughs> year. Um, it's a, a year that is already a little bit brighter than last year in some ways. And so uh, I'm just ex- really excited to be here and grateful for the chance to talk with your listeners and to talk with you and, um, about everything and to learn from you and your great organizing work as well.
1: Well, thank you. And uh, we're going to have you on as our featured interview a little later so that we all get to know uh, a little bit more about you. So um, we'll save that for later. But right now, um, let's talk about usually what we call the news of the week. But we haven't been around for a few weeks. And uh, man, a lot's happened. We have a new Congress didn't know if that was actually going to happen, if we were actually going to get a new Congress or not. It was a little touch and go there for a while. <laughs> God, it was just sickening. And like the schadenfreude of it was kind of good. <laughs> but also I just felt really, really sad and embarrassed mm-hmm. for our, our country, you know, mm-hmm. and, and um, coming off the heels of the most consequential Congress in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the contrast couldn't be more stark, you know, to a, a Congress that couldn't even pick a leader, uh, until that leader completely capitulated to the worst instincts of the modern Republican Party, um, yeah and uh and this is what what we're left with
0: yeah it's true it was i agree it was hard it was like fun to watch at first and then it got really hard to watch and i just kept thinking about all the parts of our democracy that kevin mccarthy was selling off one by one to this maga faction and it was for me it was just a very clear this is what MAGA governing looks like. It's not governing. You have all these different kinds of factions, and they don't even talk to each other or want anything that's similar. So it's just a it's a circus, you know? And uh, kind of unfortunately, because their goal ultimately is to make government look dysfunctional and bad, they achieve that by also uh, taking up so much time and getting attention which is another big goal of a lot of these maga republicans.
1: Yeah, they want attention boy Matt gets there at the end his his move to uh, defer his vote to the end so that he had the deciding vote was so craven and disgusting and and um, yeah. and transparent but um but they you know as you said the their agenda is not good and um the mm-hmm. guarantee of Social Security and Medicare is uh, really being threatened right now, mm-hmm. um, and, and they're going to hold the debt ceiling hostage um, in an effort to take away our money, money that we've been stashing away from our paychecks um, for our retirement. This is <laughs> wildly unpopular. You had some good polling that, that shows that Americans aren't really buying this. They're not, they're not really enthused with the new look for the Congress.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the good news, right? That we're seeing in some of the polling that's just been coming out over the past week that voters don't approve of this GOP Congress. They are their their disapproval of Kevin McCarthy has increased greatly over the last couple of weeks. And voters are seeing the GOP clearly right now as focused on consolidating power and fighting amongst themselves versus serving the public. So in a way, it's good news that what we saw as activists watching what happened over the last couple of weeks has actually translated to the voting public as well. So it's it's a good sign that, and something that I think we need to keep uh, reinforcing with the general public and the voting population that this, this particular Republican party is beholden to a very extreme faction that has no interest in doing what people need Uh, taking care of families um, solving big problems and all they want to do is take away our freedoms take away the things that we the benefits we've come to rely on like you said about social security and medicare very unpopular Mm -hmm. so um and, you know, it's also unpopular that they're going after Biden. And I, I think there's an opportunity there to just not let this both sides-ism kind of storyline per- permeate. You know, we have to push back. And this polling, which is is available, I think, to the public, so maybe we can put it a link in our notes if people want to look at it. It talks about the best way to counter this general message that the Republicans are saying, which is, hey, you know, Democrats investigated Trump the whole time they were in power. So now that we're in power, it's only fair we investigate Biden. That's the kind of both sides sort of argument that the media is 100 percent falling into. And so um, the best argument against that is just to be real. Like there were real reasons that the Democrats investigated Trump. He tried to overturn the election. There was a violent insurrection. He lied about all these things we had a right and we had to actually investigate them. There's no real reasons to investigate Biden. So I think making that argument seems to be the best strategy for pushing through the lazy, lazy both sides-ism kind of
1: arguments. Uh, yeah. And I mean, it is unfortunate that uh, the the documents that uh, Biden found, um, but just the way I phrased that is, is really an important distinction, you know, Biden found those documents and turned them in like it's the difference is like this. I heard someone describe it like if you're at a store and you accidentally put something that you didn't pay for in your bag and you walk out and the alarm goes off. and You go, oops, I found something. And you bring it to the manager and say, so sorry, I found this Mm -hmm. and pay for it. Um, That's what happened with Biden. If you go to the same store and you take off the sensor while you're in the store and you stuff it into your bag and you sneak it out the back and then you take it and store it in your pool house next to the pool equipment at your beach club and then the FBI has to, uh, has to come and search to find those documents and then you still lie about them and say that you didn't know they were there. That's the difference. Exactly. <laughs> it's not exactly the really same. Really
0: clear. It's not the same, but the media likes to make it seem the same, and we just have to push back against that when we're talking to people and they try to feed us that kind of both sides.
1: Yeah, you know, all of argument. this, like, like we really have a, an important role to play in in making sure that this narrative uh, stays out there. You know, and. Um, you know, what the Republicans are doing is hateful and, and in many ways stupid. Like y- you would think they'd learn like one of the first things they did was uh, a- another like a- abortion rights uh, legislation or something that they did in the House. I, I, mm. I, forgive me. I'm forgetting exactly what it was because I was just I think I saw spots instead of actual like <laughs> legislation because I was so mad about it. But yeah, Um. But that's so unpopular that even some Republicans in the caucus were like, this is not a, a, the way for us to go. This is not what we should be leading off on in this Congress because Americans have shown clearly that they want women to have the right to make their own health care choices. Um, mm-hmm. And and so some of it seems stupid, but a lot of it is going to be noise, distraction, yeah. you know, um, and and keeping us – you know, sort of distracted while these really impactful policies that were passed in the last um, Congress and that Biden signed into law are actually landing in people's homes and, mm-hmm. and landing in, in their districts. And so while mm-hmm. while these projects from the um, Infrastructure Act and uh, Build Back Better and the Inflation Reduction Act are all starting to come to fruition in the next year... Or in two years, they're just going to be making all kinds of noise, distracting us from what's going on, and then going back to their districts and taking credit for the stuff that they, you know, that they tried to actively block. Um, mm-hmm. So our our narrative needs to be really strong and consistent, and we need to let people know what Democrats have done, and it, and it's Democrats that are making their lives better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think the distraction is exactly the the key thing that they're doing it's a, uh, it's trying to take attention away from the good things that are rolling out it's also you know let's be real the republicans still have control of a lot of states they're they're also t- attacking rights and freedoms in the states and we don't want to distract from that fight as well we have to make sure that we're tracking that and not getting so hung up on all of the circus distractions in, at the federal level and not paying attention to the way that they are going to be gutting the rights that we that and freedoms in states as well
1: yeah absolutely we've got droughts bomb cyclones you know uh, there's always the threat of more fires and we've had massive hurricanes you know climate change is here and Democrats invested uh, over 40 billion dollars in the inflation reduction act the huge biggest investment in climate in our history mm-hmm. um, you know it's important that we keep talking about that too as people are suffering right now in real time from the uh, the effects of climate change so
0: Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff rolling out. I think um, they talked about in January 1st, a lot of new benefits to homeowners in particular, and folks are also organizing to get those benefits to come to renters as well. But, um, you know, a lot of incentives to electrify your home to add add renewable energy sources to your home to trade in for an electric car those kinds of things so it, there, it everyone should look into it and make sure that you know what the benefits are that you're eligible for and it it really is an amazing opportunity to um to make a dent in the way that we've been just burning so much fossil fuel and to make this shift, it's not enough, but it's a starting point to make this shift to a greener kind of economy, and it's it's huge. It's
1: Absolutely, huge. it is huge. And as you said, there's way more to do. It's not enough, but um, man, it's been so hard to get to this point. So I'm I'm grateful yeah. for it, and it's it's a big win. We still need to be celebrating that. Absolutely. Um, speaking of celebrating, Rudy was just subpoenaed. <laughs> That's
0: what I saw.
1: Amazing. <laughs>
0: That should be interesting.
1: As what we're we recording think? this, yeah, we're recording this on uh, on Monday on uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s uh, Day, and um, uh, Jack Smith. You know, w- w- we don't really have time. I, I, you know, this just broke, so I, I don't have enough information to you know be knowledgeable about it. I will plug uh, Jack, the Im- amazing new podcast uh, that's on our network with mm-hmm. Allison Gill um, and Andrew McCabe. Uh, but Jack Smith is serious. He is serious and um, I like it. I, I'm here for it. I'm I like always, always here for Rudy getting subpoenaed. Right? And, and uh, Trump is certainly not far behind. I, I, I think all the indicators show that, um, that he, Trump is in serious, serious trouble. So um, that's something for us to look forward to. And we'll, we'll have some legal mm-hmm. experts on to kind of talk about what Jack's doing in the coming weeks.
0: Right. Even before we really understand what it means, isn't it just something to be happy about to see Rudy and subpoena in the same sentence?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Rudy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, um, I'd mentioned that it's uh, MLK day today um, as we're recording this. You guys aren't going to hear it till Wednesday, but. A reminder, you know, as we talk about this week's to-do list, that um, Martin Luther King's, it's a federal holiday, um, but it's also a national day of service. And, um, And a lot of people look at it like a long weekend, which it can certainly be for a lot of people. But I really want people to think about where they can be of service in their own communities this week. I was at an event just a little bit earlier today um, where uh, Adam Schiff was the keynote speaker, um, and it was really a joyful, wonderful celebration. Representative Schiff gave a a very important speech about um, time, about the urgency of now, of course, um, and uh, and that time isn't always our friend, and um, just encouraged people to take action now and not to wait. This is our moment. And that's certainly how I feel. And The whole event was a benefit for Home Again LA, which is helping uh, house people experiencing homelessness and also um, so many people who still been affected by the pandemic, um, either because they got sick or lost their job and are on the verge of losing their home. Uh, Mm -hmm. It provides relief for them, too. So I was super happy to support that today, and I just encourage you to find something in your community. Uh, This week, if you didn't have the opportunity to do it on MLK Day, find something in your community to support. That's your to-do list. I love it. Um, Let's talk about your, you had a really cool reason for hope. What's your reason for hope this week? It's our first reason for hope of the new season.
0: Yay. Well, I learned about this organization, Pen America, which I guess has been around for a 100 years. They teamed up with the Brooklyn Public Library to provide free training for any high school students in America who want to get involved in in fighting book banning. Uh, You know, those of us who live in places like Oakland, Berkeley, certain cities, which are very progressive, we Mm. haven't had to deal with it as much. But in a lot of cities across the country, we're still dealing with book bannings. There, According to this report that PEN America put out, from July to June over the last year, there were over 2,500 instances of individual books being banned, affecting over 1,600 unique titles. So it's still very active. And, um, what I learned from that polling that I was talking about earlier is that book banning is is the second most unpopular GOP strategy with the American voters. So, still a really important Thank electoral goodness electoral issue. I Thank know goodness my gosh. I know. People <laughs> like, don't like people do not like banning books. And so, um, what's really cool is that students can essentially anybody in high school can apply and we can put the link in our notes so folks can see. Um, you can apply for this training, it's done over Zoom, and then you get to be part of this national movement to figure out how to fight back. Uh, so it gives me a lot of hope to think about, you know, training the next generation of advocates pushing for the freedom to read and to gain the kind of knowledge that we all want, I think it's very inspiring.
1: That is so inspiring um, and so important, you know, that we all do that work. Um, there was another uh, hateful, idiot Republican congressperson who I believe was trying to start, maybe he did, an anti-woke caucus in Congress. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, it. <laughs> What woke means is being aware of your history, and um, and actively talking yeah. about it, and, uh, so that you don't repeat it and that you can uh, fix the the problems that we have. I mean, it's like just to yeah. to say that we want to ban books and not and and ignore this part of our history is uh, is woeful. I was thinking about this actually. Now I'm going on a tangent, but if you are actively Suppressing the knowledge and the history of slavery and racism and um, the the effects of segregation and redlining, all all of those things. Yeah. Then yes, you are a part of the problem. You cannot be exempt from the sins of your father if you're trying to cover them up. If you're trying to cover up the sins of your ancestors, then you have now become complicit in your mm-hmm. ancestors' sins. So. Anyway. Yeah, I like that. I'm mad. All right, um, that was a great reason for hope, and I got all upset. But um, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come right back and have an awesome, I- inspiring interview with my new co-host Jennifer Fernandez and Kona. Jennifer Fernandez Ancona is co founder of Way to Win, where she oversees their political strategy and narrative work. She has a wide range of experience in communications, donor organizing, strategy development, grassroots organizing, and multiracial coalition building. Prior to joining Way to Win, Jennifer served as vice president at Women's Donor Network as Director of Strategic Communications at Citizen Engagement Laboratory and as a consultant to the Democracy Alliance and as a top legislative aide in the California State Assembly, if that's not all. She was also a news reporter for the Los Angeles Times, way overqualified to be (laughs) co-host of How We Win. I'm so excited uh, to have you here and to get to know you a little bit better on our first episode of season four. How are you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
1: Of course. So, um, first of all, I want to know a little bit about your origin story in organizing. Everyone has mm-hmm. their first time, their first thing that got them involved, the first time mm-hmm. they volunteered on something. I'm going to mm-hmm. take you way back. What was what way was that back. for? You? What was that for you? <laughs>
0: Well, so I was a journalist, as you mentioned, and that is what I did, you know, out of college for the first few years. And while I was working at the L.A. Times uh, during the it was the lead up to the 2004 election, I I got very upset by George W. Bush, by his response to 9-11. I was a mm-hmm. I was a reporter covering 911 and so the whole thing was very visceral and I mean we were in LA of course not in New York but you know it, it affected everyone sure. and um and the reaction to that going to so much fear and then going to attack in Iraq and and start the war it just it just sparked something in me that made me feel like I don't actually want to keep just reporting this news. I, I don't want to be so much an observer. I, I'm i feeling passion to get involved and do something. So the first thing that I did was actually join a big march. I was living in north of the northern part of Ventura County and in close mm-hmm. to Santa Barbara. And, um, And they were having a really big march. I don't know if you remember, but back in those days, um, there were just a, it was a kind of a resurgence of the peace movement at that time. People were, or the anti, an anti-war kind of movement that was a little bit of a resurgence from the 60s. And... I got very inspired by, by that, by going out into the streets and making signs and, and having our voices heard and being a part of that big, big mass of people walking, marching down a big street and, um, make, you know, making a, making noise and making a, a sound that we weren't, we didn't like what was happening. And I got a little bit caught doing that by my editors who were who said you know you can't actually do that (laughs) that's not okay you know you're you're an objective observer you can't actually do that kind of activism and so that was the first thing that sparked me thinking i probably want to get out of journalism Hmm. and then i got very inspired to kick out George W. Bush. And so I started researching, how do you do that? And kind of just getting (laughs) more. How do you
1: kick out a president?
0: (laughs) Well, and just at the time, I wasn't paying attention to politics that much because I was reporting on local things. I wasn't really following national politics as much. And I didn't realize the about I didn't really understand the primary process. You Mm. know, you can actually get get involved and push a candidate in a primary to win and then become the candidate, the nominee. It uh, coming off of the 2000 election, I was just very clear: that w- to beat George W. Bush, we have to have a really, really good candidate. We have to have a better candidate than we have had before. So the first candidate that I got very involved in nationally was Howard Dean.
1: Mm-hmm. I,
0: I was one of those like weirdos who was really obsessed with Howard Dean.
1: You're a Deaniac. <laughs>
0: I was a deniac. Um <laughs> at the time I like had a blog. I was like an early blogger and, you know, using the Internet to raise money for Howard Dean way before it was cool. <laughs> um, and so I got super excited and we um, I went to Iowa. I was like one of those weird Californians with the bright orange hat in Iowa. I was there in the room when Howard Dean did the scream that Hi-yah! basically canceled.
1: So (laughs) that ruined
0: his career. Yeah, Yeah, we were there. We were in the room, and we didn't think anything was wrong. We thought it was still fine. I was
1: going to ask you that that wasn't a moment that you were like, "Oh shit!" That that was, you know.
0: It was fine because in the room it made sense. We were all hyped up. It was a lot of people, you know. There it was a grassroots movement, and so we were excited. And it was like we're going this place and that place, and yeah, it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And we just thought it was fine. And not until we got back to our hotel and saw the news and saw how they were talking about it and saw how they were showing it, were all of us who were there were just like. Oh my god like they are just taking him out right now they're just mm-hmm. taking him all the way out and it had nothing to do with reality it was it was really intense um so but that led me that experience led me to get involved locally so my first real uh, real volunteer campaign experience was for a city council candidate in santa barbara where i was living at the time and Because of Howard Dean and getting involved locally with the Democratic Party, I would go, I would um, set up a table at the farmer's market and sit there and register people to vote, and answer questions, and get people engaged and involved. And in doing that, I saw this young guy speak about his candidacy for city council. He was my age at the time. I was in my 20s. And um, he was inspiring. He is a man of color. He was very liberal and progressive. And at that time in Santa Barbara, the city council there was nobody, I think, who wasn't white, and there was nobody mm. who was under the age of seventy on the city wow. council. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it was it was a big kind of moment for reflective democracy, you know, and the idea of seeing ourselves in in our elected leadership. So, I got involved. I reached out to him um, from my L.A. Times email address, and he was very confused. <laughs> he was just like, "Why does this reporter want to volunteer for my campaign?" Um, but it was very exciting. And he won. And now he's he's been in the assembly. I don't even know what he's doing. And now, his actually.
1: name was Barack Obama. No.
0: <laughs> no, his <laughs> no, name's das, das, Williams.
1: das Williams. Das awesome. Williams.
0: yeah Williams. Yeah, he's been in the California State Legislature for a, a, many years. Oh, cool. Yeah. Cool. He's a cool guy.
1: That's, so. That is so interesting. Yeah, you know, I love how you, how you say you started off by going to that march and getting inspired by that because, mm-hmm. um, you know – those marches, those these rallies are really, really important. I mean, they serve mm-hmm. important uh, roles in the work that we do to bring awareness and to earn some media and 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 draw attention to issues. But they mm-hmm. also pull people into this community and and make people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. And we certainly saw that with the women's march, um, after Trump was elected and Mm -hmm. so many people went to the women's march and felt empowered. They felt part of something and they wanted to do more. So they got involved and started volunteering and doing more afterwards. So, um, so like, I guess what I'm saying is now that, uh, we can get out and about more, like go to some marches, people be part of this joyful community. You know, it's really empowering. Um, So you've done so much since you since that, you know, since your days as a deniac. um, Mm -hmm. And I listed off so many of of the roles that you've held and the work that you've done. Uh, What's some of the work that you're the most proud of that you've done?
0: Aww, thanks for asking that. <laughs> I'm, I think I'm very proud of the work that I did at Women Donors Network, uh, because it's a, it's an amazing organization. It's, it's been around for a long while too. I think they were founded in 1990. Um, but when I went there, um, they really were wanting to do more. Um, so it's a community of very, engaged a political women who have had wealth and resource. And um, it started with a, a number of women who were um, part of large wealthy families and they were getting inheritances and the women were not really given up Uh, role in their family's philanthropy or anything to do with money so Mm. the women kind of got together and decided that they needed to empower themselves and learn how to how to do things how to be more active how to give away more money in a smart way so it just comes from a very good set of values and for me um what i'm most proud of having worked there is i helped them through a lot of organizing and with a lot of partners get to a place where they understood that what they wanted to, they, they wanted to do more together they wanted to actually what we call the collective impact because you can be part of a community and be an individual and get a lot out of being in that community but there's a power in coming together and getting aligned about what you want to do the goals mm. that you have right so rather than just deciding where all the uh philanthropic dollars should go individually they started to decide i helped them organize and decide together what are the big challenges we want to take on how do we want to push more racial justice how do we want to push more social justice at a root cause level rather than you know at a level where you're kind of just scratching the surface or you're just you're just um, sort of attacking um, the symptoms of the problem and not the actual root of the problem of injustice. Mm. So, It was a really big shift from the time that I started working there to the time that I left. And now, you know, they're really engaging in moving serious money to amazing movement leaders and amazing work. It's I think it's over it's been over 20 million dollars a year. And when I started, it was very it was not very much. It was a few hundred thousand, I think, when I first started there. So I really helped. My my in working with the whole team there and everything obviously it wasn't just me but it, I think it was part of the work that I did to actually make a really big shift in resources going to the the right kind of movement building uh, social change that
1: we need. That's incredible, amazing that you built it up to that uh, that jaw droppingly large <laughs> amount of money <laughs> yearly, um, and then uh, you moved on and started Way to Win. Um yeah. so what was the impetus for that why leave and start that organization?
0: Yeah. Well, at the time, you know, it was the after the 2016 election and Trump getting elected and a lot of shock and despair and fear. And uh, myself. And, you know, you met my co-founder, Tori Gavito, uh, yes. on a previous show. And then my, our other co-founder, She's great. Just
1: a, just a programming note for everyone. Please go back um, to season three, kind of towards the end, and, and hear Tori's interview. We'll have her back on again. But she was really, really great.
0: Yeah. And our other co founder, Leah Hunt Hendricks, who had been doing a lot of organizing work as well in, in wealth, com- wealthy communities. And, you know, all of us kind of independently came to the idea that we needed to do something different. Uh, we needed to shake up kind of the way politics as usual worked at the macro funding level. We were seeing in the work I was doing at Women Donors Network and the work that Leah was doing at Solidair, Donors getting frustrated by this sort of boom and bust cycle of funding where they would support candidates, which is, of course, important. But then at the end of supporting those candidates, they win, they lose, and it just goes away. You know, it's like a mm-hmm. cycle that keeps starting again. And when you look at what the conservative movement and the the Republic, the far right has done, of course, is build real infrastructure. They have a political strategy that has built things that last beyond the election cycle, and that was something that we felt was more needed. Um, and so, it was really about creating a way for the communities that we are already serving, like the Women Donors Network and others, to um, to have a political strategy that would that that would build something to last for the long-term while winning short-term elections. And that would also kind of push the Democratic Party um, to, to be part of the Democratic Party, but to not just accept a status quo of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. and to be pushing for bolder policies, bolder candidates, You know, more of a progressive vision for the country and and to see that expressed in the Democratic Party.
1: I love that. It's so important. And it's really powerful when that does come from uh, donors. Like that's the, you know, mm-hmm. sad truth is that that, you know, dictates a lot of policies is where mm-hmm. the money's coming from. And yeah. um and I, uh, I would love in my lifetime to see some meaningful campaign finance reform and yeah. um, and and some changes to how we run our elections. Um, yes. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, the money is very important because the Republicans and all the dark money comes pouring in. So we need to support yeah. our progressive candidates. And the... And, uh, uh, and they are so often people who just don't have the resources and uh, and even within the Democratic Party won't be able to rise to the top because they don't have the resources to, uh, you know, have a strong first quarter fundraising showing, you know, and then right. as as you mentioned earlier in the primaries, they get left behind. So that right. work that you're doing is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your plans for the the coming year?
0: Yeah, well... 2023 is a really important year you know for us at way to win we don't think in terms of off and on years in the same way that we have in the past because you know as you as we know there's just always so much work to do and in order to break that boom and bust cycle and in order to build long-term power you can't sort of take years off you know you have to just keep Mm -hmm. fighting and um pushing and so uh, what we're focused on this year is really looking ahead to 2024, you know, it's a that's that's, of course, a, a crucial it's a crucial election. We've seen what happens when the Republicans are in charge of the House. We we can't let that happen again. So we have two more years to switch that up because mm-hmm. we know that if we don't, we're in danger of of losing the peaceful transfer of power we're probably in danger of losing that anyway. Um, or other other things with yeah. what the Supreme Court might do. And there's just so there's still a lot of threats. There's still a lot of threats. So we have to be aware and fighting that. So we're looking, you know, I I mentioned one of the main things Way to Win has done is support organizations in states that are important electorally. So it's a lot of states that are more typical battlegrounds like Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin. But Way to Win has really prioritized also building a new kind of path through the South and Southwest where you see demographic change making it possible for those states to become more democratic Mm -hmm. and more progressive. So we've put a lot of effort and money into Arizona, into Georgia, of course, into North Carolina, Texas uh florida and, and nevada so we'll continue to fund that strategy and one of the big things right away is that you know the the activists we've talked about this in on this podcast about the activists like in georgia who have just been running and working yeah. so hard for the past several years and they just need a break you know and and we, vitamins we yeah, <laughs> we're just we're really trying to talk to our community about, you know, maybe we don't know what all their plans are right now, but we just need to fund their basic operations so that they don't have to lay off a bunch of their staff so that they can take a real break, do some reflecting, do some planning, you know, going into this big 2024 year. So that's a big piece of our strategy is just we're it's just like we people need a bridge from one election to the next it, that doesn't involve a bunch more work you know we they just actually need to be funded to plan and rest too yeah. you know
1: that is so, so. Gr- that i you know i didn't know that you all were doing that that is so Amazing! I'm so grateful to you for that work. These organizations, if you if you don't know, for our listeners, um, you know they have to lay off, you know, in quote unquote these off years, like half mm-hmm. their staff, you know, because it's mm-hmm. so hard to fundraise uh, during off years when people don't f- don't feel that. Uh, fierce urgency of now that we were talking about before when we're not closer to the election when campaigns aren't aren't like really going full steam ahead and um and then in the meantime they they lose the through line of their work because they're not able to sustain it and and you know there's so many things that you can do and I, I keep saying it even though it's not an off year there's no off years but we'll just you know for arguments, sake, off years, there's so many things you can do to um, to test new tactics and to work and to work out new programs that you can't yeah. do when the election is just when, when it gets close to election day. Because you know, once you get rolling with the campaign, you just got to do go with what you know, go with the program you have. There's no no you know time to change anything. But yeah. if you can invest in these groups and let them try new things and develop new programs and stay in touch with their communities, um, that's so powerful. I, that's amazing. Yeah, um,
0: yeah thank you. I,
1: oh, I didn't know you were doing that. And that's really, really <laughs> exciting. Um a big one. Just too mm-hmm. many organizations just like – and then they, and they lose some good people and and mm-hmm. maybe some of the the juju of that organization goes away too and they're not as effective mm-hmm. as a result too. So
0: Exactly. Yeah. That's just a, a big part of the kind of politics as usual we're trying to change, you know. Uh, And the other big things are the continuing to innovate on the message side. So, you know, a lot of the work we did last cycle, just building on that, we have to keep understanding this coalition of voters that we need to hold going into 2024 with, you know, good research and good content creation and testing. I think the two big challenges on the message front are, we already mentioned, which was how do we talk about the, the benefits that people are getting? in a way that's compelling, that ties back to Democrats, that serves as a good contrast to the what the GOP is doing. So there's there's something in that. You know, we'll hear it at the State of the Union and we'll we'll want to be reinforcing a kind of message in the next few months, the first quarter or so that that really lands in the in the voters' minds that they'll remember, um, what this great work we did over the past two years was. So that's one challenge. And then the other big challenge I think we need to crack going into 2024 is, um, we saw a lot in a lot of the polling we did last cycle that while voters Almost always, when you ask them what their top issue is, they will always say something about the economy. Economic issues. This mm-hmm. time it was inflation. It's just usually something about their economic well-being. Yeah. Yeah. And when you ask them which party they trust more to handle the economy, the Republicans always win. Even with our own voters. <laughs> so... Um, so that's a nut we need to crack. Like, it doesn't make sense. It's not true. Republican presidents are not zero better for the economy. sense.
1: Like, you can look <laughs> yeah. at, like, Republican presidents have destroyed the economy. Democrats yeah. come in and clean it up. Then the Republicans come in and destroy it again. I mean, time and time yeah. again.
0: But there's a brand problem, right? There's a brand yeah. problem. People don't see Democrats as being good for the economy. They think Republicans are better for their own bottom line. And we just have to break that fallacy. You know, we have to figure out how to, how to message it and how to talk about it in a way that actually works, that lands for us and that doesn't compromise our, our own progressive values. It's, it's a hard line to walk, but I think we can do it. So that's the other thing we'll focus on. And then I guess the final thing is just, Like you mentioned the primaries, and that's something that Way to Win is unique in that we support candidates in primaries. We did support Max Frost. We supported other some of those other candidates like Delia Ramirez and others who were running in open seats in Congress. So the thing about primaries is it always starts much earlier than you really want it to, but it does. So you have to you know, recruit the candidates and get them started. And so I think toward the end of this year, um, we'll definitely be helping support some some good primary candidates who are emerging in some places, too.
1: Very exciting. Um you know i I cajoled you into doing this show, and I'm so grateful because uh, you know you segued really well, especially with the messaging stuff because that's that's mm-hmm. a task that we will have here on this show mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot this year and um, mm-hmm. and I can imagine is one of the reasons why you wanted to continue doing this show um, yeah what what do you want listeners to take away from from what we do here every week on on how we win?
0: Yeah, I love that question. I think I think it's really uh, important for this this basic idea that you know every single one of us has agency and has a role to play and can get involved and do something. So I think that uh, sometimes just being more informed and having having an easy way to get caught up on what's going on that that um, you know sometimes people are busy and they may not have time to read all the things that come across their desk and so. Any getting being engaged and involved and aware is so important. It's such an important first step to then taking action. So I love the combination of uh, learning, you know, through our own, what we share, but also from the amazing people that we interview, it's really important to hear from those voices Uh, and then giving people, you know, steps to take action. I think I just want people to come away. Yeah, just feeling inspired and empowered and knowing that they're they're a part of the solution too.
1: I love that. Um, we finish up all of our interviews usually asking our guests what brings you hope right now. Yeah. But you already did that earlier in our <laughs> yeah. Does <laughs> that mean I get segment. to
0: interview you?
1: <laughs> well, I'll <laughs> For say one second. <laughs> uh, well, you could yeah. So you can ask me what what brings me hope. Go ahead. You, I'll, okay. you can tee that. Up. Thank
0: you. <laughs> <laughs> So it's my turn to ask you a question, Steve. Which is, what's giving you hope right now?
1: You are Jennifer. You're giving me <laughs> a lot of hope for the work that we're going to be doing on this show. Um, I'm I'm so excited to to be in partnership with you uh, on this, and grateful to you for for jumping in and uh, and lending your talent and time to how we win. I know our listeners are going to appreciate it so much, and. Um, And also uh, Gen Z. So you (laughs) and Gen Z are what brings me hope. Um, And uh, I'm excited to get to, to have little chats with you every week.
0: Me too, I'm super excited. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for joining us today on our season premiere of How We Win for season four. Spoiler alert, we win when we all take action together.
0: And we want to hear from you, as always. So send us an email at hello at howwewinpod.com or tweet to us at howwewinpod, at bluesboysteve, and at Jen Ancona.
1: If you're just finding us, please make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods and share us with your friends and family. Let's make season four the biggest one yet.
0: There's always work to do. So we'll be back with more next Wednesday. See you then.
1: Bye.